Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 57 of the Cathode Ray podcast. My name is Louis Zezeran. In a moment, we're going to get into our episode with my good friend, Steve Nutter. On this episode, we are going to be giving you an update on the Chinese CRTs. We've got some more information from Ivory Retro Castle in China. He's given us some more details. We're going to be talking about the PSIO controversy, the firmware, the drama. Look, we love a bit of retro drama. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to give you some of our thoughts on the Morph uh, switch that was announced this week and how that compares to the Tink 4K and a little bit of our thoughts. And we want, hopefully, hopefully, some of the positivity as well. And we talk a lot about Steve's Bang & Olsen CRT that he's been repairing uh, the insights that that gives us into the Bang & Olufsen marketing and, and consumer techniques in the USA. It's a beautiful set made in 1989 in the 80s. Technically, it's got a range of input, looks great, but it's got some deficiencies and some problems as well. So we talk about all of that in this episode. So without further ado, let's get into it. We're going to roll straight in. Talking about Steve, who hit the big 4-0 this week. Wish him happy birthday on Twitter. Hit me up on at, at Zez. Hit Steve up at, at Retro USA. Let's roll with the episode. My body's too wasted. I'm just going to enjoy the rest of my life and die early. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, I need to go. And I started doing the exercise, and, and then yeah. I'm doing it every day since, besides those three days. So I'm, I've, uh, I've definitely mm. cut down. And I've also not been eating, you know, I've been trying not to eat crap. I've been doing just intermittent fasting where I just eat like one big meal a day that's Mm -hmm. healthy and uh, might snack on some things that are like fruit and things throughout the day and drink a lot of water and coffee. So I think it's really been a kickstarting my 40th as well as drinking a bunch of this bourbon that I've been like recently getting into collecting bourbon. And that's been... So the, it's hard not to. to. One You've got that other. collection there. It's hard not to have a drink. It's very hard not to. And I already. So there's there's. An, I was talking with Roger. There's already a, or my father, my stepfather, when I was back in town, he's really into whiskeys and has like tons of these things that are worth thousands of dollars. These really rare bottles, and. He's like, oh, do you have this app? And there's an app where you can go on and put all the booze you have in it. Okay. And it tells yeah. you how much it's worth, and you put how much you paid. And so I can tell you, sadly, oh, yeah. how many <laughs> bottles of bourbon I have in my my. Uh, You've got it on the app. Right You've now. loaded the app. Okay. Yes, I have. Oh, you yeah. have twenty-one bottles in your bar. So wow. I already have twenty-one bottles of bourbon in my bar. But and, but if I saw those statistics correctly. Your value of your yeah. product is now up. So eight hundred something Isn't that spent. Crazy? One thousand well three hundred <laughs> for those listening. So Steve has spent one eight hundred and thirty three US dollars on yeah. bourbon, but his the app says his collection is worth about one thousand three hundred. So Isn't you're that up, ridiculous. You're a market trader. You're the wolf. You're the wolf <laughs> of Wall Street. Look at this. The wolf of the bar street. Yeah. Yeah. No, but so that's that's been funny and fun. And then it is weird. Like I'll be in the liquor store looking at, and I'm like, is that on my list of things I need to be adding to my collection? What's the actual price? It is just another thing for another you to thing, collect. Right? It's just another and thing. drink actually and enjoy. I though I'm not like well, true. I have I have not been 
Yeah, but it is something, right? Why else would I buy 21 of them in a month? That's how long it's been. About five weeks. Sure. So you've, uh, like, it's the same. Sorry, pardon me. Here I go. It's the same uh, thing that's driving you with CRTs. Why do you need another one? Why do you need to spend more? It's the same thing, like, and now it's like another bottle of bourbon. It's another bottle. And look, it's appreciating. You can tell yourself, hey, look, (laughs) it's worth more. My assets are tied up in CRTs and bourbon. A life well spent. (laughs) Oh, fun stuff. So that's the kind of debauchery that I've been going through through my midlife crisis is an extreme addiction to bourbon and yoga. And yoga, he's there. So uh, that's so interesting. So the thing, yeah, we want to take a moment. If you didn't know, thank. First of all, thanks for listening. We're happy to be here. Steve had his fortieth birthday last week, so this is the big four zero, mate. Look, I'm at forty three, and I know I look young. Oil of Yulan. That's the secret. All right, like that's maybe it's Maybelline. All right, I know <laughs> you're forty zero, and, and so you've passed from the thirty nine, the threshold yeah. of male middle age. So what has gone through your head? What have you felt? Well, it's like a huge weight has finally been shed off my shoulders where I really mm. have no care for what like people think of me out in public. It's really cool. You had hilarious. a care before. You were like super worried. I don't about think it. so, but no, not really. <laughs> but now it's like, oh, I have no cares. So for example, I was out Sunday and I was uh, in my little, <laughs> my shorts, my short, short pants, short Ooh, pants. Wear short Ooh. shorts, Steve. These are, yeah, short shorts. my short little khaki pants. And I was wearing no shirt waxing my Audi in my driveway on Sunday with like the neighbors, people coming in, you know, coming in from church, all dressed fancy sure. all over. And they're coming in from church, and, they're doing this. And I'm, oh. and I'm, I'm listening to <laughs> like, yeah, I'm listening to like uh, hillbilly music because I just went, yeah, I went to a hillbilly concert the, the night before. So uh, it was, yeah, so that was like, oh, yeah, look, I don't have to care. So this thing that I look, that, I look people, good. People <laughs> looking at their watches going, oh, yep, Steve just had his Somebody, 40th midnife crisis. That's going to happen now. Okay. Somebody call the loony bin. Yeah. Check him in. I'm pleased that you're enjoying your 40s, Steve. I'm pleased. Statistically, several uh, good percentages of our audience are also in their 40s, so you could appreciate Yeah, it. I would say so. You know, can... You're right. Right in the wheelhouse of our so yoga and bourbon. Look, it's not a bad, it's not a bad way to be. All right. Yeah, so... it's a couple things. And uh, hopefully, yeah, I, I, I will... If I have to quit one, I guess it would be the bourbon probably would be better for me to quit physically, but we'll see. What, the we'll yoga? See which one. Sure. Yeah, I'd probably. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, after almost, you know, ended up in the hospital and almost having a heart attack this year, it's like, yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe I should try this right. before, before I get sick again. I was like, I'm going to get sick, and then God only knows what will happen. I don't know. Last time you got <laughs> sick and you made that hospital video, that got the most number of views right? ever. All right. So... so- I say drink yourself into an early death, all right? Do that. It's only good for views, Steve. As your manager here, I my professional recommendation is that you drink yourself into an early grave, all right? This is going to be good. It's going to be good. The, the value of your CRT videos is only going to go up to after death. That's how artists, you know, true artists, you know, are not appreciated until they pass. 
<laughs> it yeah, what a what a great point, you know. I would have I'll be like what? Janis Joplin or yep. uh Jimi Hendrix, right. Andy Warhol, and, Steve Nutter, absolutely. And, and it's little Stevie Retro. It'll just put that. It'll be a picture of me in that jumper, in that uh, windbreaker. <laughs> that's it. That's it. The true artists of our time, the true oh, defining gosh. characters of our generation. This is what we're stuck with in forties. <laughs> yes. What a dream! What a dream it is Living to be dream. able to do all this, and to be here with you, Lewis. Forties. We got our best time. You absolutely. know, it's just. The the biggest the biggest disappointment about all this is I can't just pop open one of these bottles of bourbon and share it with you in person. <laughs> That's I really, I know, right? If there was only a uh, virtual bourbon scanner, <laughs> beam you over a glass of something back and forth, boy, that would be. Weird. We will get there to that day that, uh, and that's funny. And, and maybe you know, people have been listening and following our channels for a long time. Steve and I have never met in person. Never so this chemistry, op- yeah, just oh, developed. Just, oh, the chemistry, Austin. Oh, I bet you say that to all the retro boys. <laughs> oh, goodness. So it would be lovely. And I know uh, you and all the homeboys like Bob are going to the Retro World Expo very soon. I wish I could come. Turns out flying over the Atlantic. Very expensive. Takes some time uh, to fly. Don't have Elon's private jet with many trackers on it. So I can't just pop over. Uh, I'll be thinking about you guys, but I'll be over here working, doing my thing. But soon, Retro World. Just a couple weeks, isn't it? Just a couple weeks, yes. I have secured a minivan, and I will be jet-setting up to the beautiful town of Hartford, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. So you are bringing CRTs. So I do. The plan is this. It was originally just for me to come, but then... All these people on Patreon wanted me to work some. So I have the B&O, which actually I just got done doing that live stream on. Mm. The B&O. I need to really get that done before this trip so I can drop it off with the owner on that way up. That's just kind of a bonus. And then I do have to take a handful of CRTs back with me uh, to do some things with other clients. So it's a... It's going to be fun, but at the same time, yeah, I do have to take a bunch of stuff back with me uh, in the van. If I go up, I might bring that and some small PBMs, like five and eight inch ones. I don't think I'm bringing much of anything mm-hmm. that off to sell. Offload, to yeah, I don't really yeah. have the time. That's odd, yeah. This time and now, and yeah, nothing. You've nothing, also got to be uh, dedicated. I mean, I guess if you came to a convention, you're like, I'm going to walk off with a 20 inch BBM. Sure, okay, you're going to back yeah. up the truck. And load the forklift up. Oh, right. So, it's not know, easy. Yeah, it's not easy moving those things around. Even uh, last time I was fortunate that Bob get, helped me out and went and uh, hooked me up with the Wayne's World style backstage passes so I could go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I was able to wheel my CRT card in there and out and in and out all day with the 13 inches. But after, after even doing that, that was just That's nah. Yeah, strange. kind of. But Bob has a 14L5 that he wants me to piece back together for him. Mm. So I don't believe I'm going to make it there the Friday before early enough to work on it. So maybe during the convention itself, um, I'll be just – I'll just sit there at his booth and fix the CRT and talk to people. 
I mean, I was going to say, first of all, live experience, putting you to work. But okay, if you could see it yeah. as a live experience, like come and see Steve. Yeah, come on. something live. Maybe that will happen. Hour, hour or two. What does it need work? What what work needs? I think it's really just no. Uh, there was something. Yeah, there's a, a issue with the main board, mm-hmm. and he really just needs me to take an a donor board that works sure. and swap it in and out. So it's something I do all the time. It's not a big job. It's not like recapping anything. Oh, okay. All right, it would just right. be that, then testing it afterwards. You got to bring this. But it new does board, take. Though. No, he already has all the. Oh, stuff. he has. Oh, well then. It would just be me so. doing it like an hour, of work. While that's great. I'm there. I mean, that's and, cool. And it's something real. Yeah. At the store, so everybody come can see Steve. Yeah, yeah, just come right over there in the in the, in the area. Hopefully, but you know that, what's going to happen? You're going to have every autistic nerd coming along, going, "Oh, oh, oh! Look at the way he uses a soldering iron, right?" Ever? <laughs> no soldering. I already said that. Okay, just okay, right? There's no soldering. Just the uh, yeah, but still, yeah, you're right. They will well, discharge it the way I saw it done in the. Uh... <laughs> I saw this video where you did. That was my video, my fuck. All right. <laughs> Mm-mm-mm-mm. Oh, that's going to be fun for you guys. So tell us about the. So you had that. You just finished the live stream with the B and O M X five thousand. Was it? Correct. Yeah. Tell us that's... about this because I'm having B and O FOMO. That's B and O FOMO because yeah. I have zero need for a B and O in my house. <laughs> I have this beautiful PVM here. PVM twenty inch. 20-inch BVM, it's beautiful. I barely get enough of a chance to, to use it as I is, as it is. But now you've got it. I've got you talking about that. I've got Martin in Denmark talking about pretzels and Viking shit and B&Os. And then John Lindemann's got one. You're like, well, John Lindemann's got one. i got to get one too. So... Uh, there's three of these B&O sets available yeah. locally. And, and and this is what I need to dig into. There's actually a widescreen B&O available locally. And you might be saying to myself, Lewis, why are you sitting here recording this podcast? Why the fuck are you not out buying that B&O for 100 euros right now? And that's an excellent point. Uh, it's a longer story. But first of all, like you say, they're 50 friggin' kilograms, which limits options for getting things around oh i gotta get a goodness. truck i gotta find someone to help me so i'm getting the bno fomo uh so tell me all about it why should i go and give in to the bno fomo steve well the first thing about the bno uh that is the most remarkable thing is just the aesthetics of it um the design, I absolutely love it. The the way it has that glass panel over the front of the tube, mm. uh, the nice big. Uh, it, again, it looks like something sleek and what you would expect something that high end to look like. You know, a lot of design went into this model. Um, it's very thin. Uh, some things I didn't get to show. It's got an an interesting feature where you can lead the set back a little bit hmm. and then it's got a front kickstand. And so it's designed because it came out in 1989 in the United States, there were still a lot of console TVs that this was trying to compete with that were on the floor normally hmm. okay. in a living room. And this feature was put in. So it would just slightly kick it up. If you didn't want to buy the, pe- the, the base, which okay. I don't have here. 
Mm-hmm. But this model came with a base that was rotating and all that uh, that you could connect directly to the television and then power it. And I think functionality was also moved to the remote control some. Uh, so it's really ahead of its time. Uh, but the the first thing we'd notice would be the actual aesthetics of the set. Uh, mm-hmm. But this is, again, the first time I'd ever seen one of these in person. And the the person who owns this got it from an architect. It still does mostly, yeah. It still does mostly function. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was notorious. He told me, the guy who owns it now, said that B&O came in with this set. And it says so in the documentation I found uh, that came with the set. That it was the very first NTSC set by B&O, this whole... 5000 series or something they called it multi video series it was all NTSC the first thing to be in the North American continent it said it right there in the paperwork so it was something that was planned to try to come in but it, it it fell apart and he told me it had a lot to do with they had so many errors and issues that came out of the manufacturing of this television uh, a lot of it was due to just poor capacitors too that were installed in this thing surprisingly so a lot of notoriously f- known for failing and and having leaking capacitors that leak and damage boards etc uh so anyway so they weren't they- reliable enough to actually make it they eventually just you know just pulled the plug and couldn't get it to to work for some eventual reason in the United States couldn't get NTSC to work so is that if i understand correctly no i don't think it's that it's it wasn't anything that was actually wrong with the design it was just the actual manufacturing process of that model of that particular revision and the cost and everything at the time at some point it became a decision to just stop it Hmm. and not try to go further i don't know whether that was a situation where it was like that division you know it could have been anything in america could be bought out by a competitor could have bought that arm I have no idea. I don't really have much information as far as that's concerned yet. I just know that that's the, the case on it. But we do know that this was not the last CRT that B&O made. So there oh, no, must, no. must be then different divisions inside of B&O at the time. There's no doubt the Vikings in Denmark are uh, doing their amazing work there. I, I can imagine there must have been an engineering team there at B&O HQ. Uh, so... I don't know. So we don't know. There's a B&O mystery here. What was going on with this American set? And we think that maybe it was American designed or something like that. So are you trying to say, Steve, that the Americans couldn't design a CRT and you had to leave? <laughs> is that what? Is that what? No, I don't know about that. They definitely couldn't. Somebody couldn't build one, right? That was right. going to last. Mm-hmm. That was the bigger thing, I think. And then because uh, even with PVMs, there's a hundred things that were changed on little sure. service bulletins throughout its history where little things needed to be adjusted. And that, that was kind of normal, I think. Uh, but it, it got to a point where maybe the, the cost outweighed the potential or the ability of the company to keep production and ultimately turn a profit. I'm not really sure. But it's a, it's a wonderful set. And like I said, it's definitely meant to be for the NTSC market. I did hear about a later version of an MX. I'm not sure what the model was. Uh, but these were done in PAL as well as Japan. And there's one that's a later one that's from Japan. And uh, the guy who owned this one was telling me about it. It's one he's looking for. And it actually has curtains. <laughs> it has these little curtains 
inside the glass that when you turn the TV on and off, the curtains like a, like oh, a shut, like like that. at a uh, a stage yeah, at the theater. Yeah. And it, it's oh, a little weird. That. So and it's it's behind it. the glass. And so yeah, I would just absolutely love something like that to see it. Uh, the fact though that the, the most intriguing part about this is think about this from our perspective of gamers. This was the CRT that every gamer would have died for because it has, it's a 1989 set and it has an input for SCART RGB mm. as well as S video, composite video and RF, right? In the eighties, still set. technically in the, in the 80s. Yeah, 1989, yeah. but nevertheless still in the eighties. Uh, now, what do you think about the picture quality? You fired it up, you've had a go. How do you feel? What what can you compare it to? Do you have any comparisons to consumer sets or professional sets? Yeah, it's really hard to say. Unfortunately, all I could get to pull up on it uh, was RF. Mm-hmm. And it looked really good. Mm-hmm. Like It looked crystal yeah. clear through RF, but that's all I could get to pull up. But the up. other inputs don't work, or what's up? I couldn't get a sync on... I think I was using the wrong input. There's two SCART inputs. One was labeled encoder, which I thought was a like a, a diagnostics tool. Mm-hmm. But I found out that might be the correct one to plug into uh, from someone on the live stream who actually is in Europe. So hopefully that's the case. I looked at the manual and that might be the case because I couldn't get it to sync. Mm-hmm. So I would see the scrolling image mm-hmm. of RGB, but no syncing. You've got the remote? Yes, but yeah, it's okay. a confusing remote. It's like... Yeah. It's like something from the future, and the darn thing weighs, Lewis, the thing weighs like five pounds. Like, you could seriously knock somebody unconscious with this remote control. <laughs> that would be an awesome police report. So yeah. how was the subject knocked Beating unconscious? Beating to death with a B&O remote. <laughs> so the picture quality is still a question. I think mm. it's going to look great for what it is. But Do you have I, the 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 beanos that I've seen here locally in Europe in Socialism Central? Uh, there is always an extra weird port on there, or one or two of them, and they look like some sort of data port. It's nothing that's some sort of signal. And I've actually seen the cables. My mate who runs the uh, secondhand electronics store that I often frequent, he's actually got the set of cables that go with it. And as I understand, those weird data ports are meant to connect into the B&O multimedia system, that these were designed with the home theater in mind. There's those amazing, I don't know if you've ever seen, but they've got those amazing tape decks and it's all flat. It looks like a DJ deck from the 80s. And uh, so has this set got that data contact port at the back? Yeah, well, this is 1989, so there's not uh, there is there's all that kind of stuff, but this would be the first kind of iteration of that. So it looks more like the backs of you know, the plugs are comparable to like the back of a Sega Genesis or something. It's like a nine pin den. I've seen one of those. Yes, I saw something and, similar. Yeah, and those will connect to a stereo audio receiver hmm. that was with this particular set. They had a specific VCR that they had with it, and then a way to break out from that they actually have in the manual where they made a scart to scart male cable on both ends with a breakout in the middle for s video which is the weirdest looking thing that they had made uh so you could somehow incorporate an additional s video device into it because it was with the 
you could tell there were certain devices again that were set up for it, but then it was also in mind for the U.S. market, where I feel like they knew they would have to have. They wanted you to have that easy way to plug in mm-hmm. S video and kind of incorporate that into the whole setup. I think is what their plan was, mm-hmm. and of course it matched. There's even a plug-in for specific speakers for it that were made, and they have their own pinout for that. And uh, the stand has its own pinout and plug-in, the actual metal stand that moves, all that. And that's the thing. You get this remote that's huge and clunky, and I think one out of every ten buttons on it works with the television. The other's just there to do something else, right? Amazing. Yeah. I don't understand. There's even this weird stuff on this TV where it says like shopping mode on the remote. It's like you could sit there and do what? Like this is pre-internet and they're thinking of ways to shop. Yeah. Like you go and you get it shop. Well, I'm trying to think about that. And I remember, you know, when you go back and you had the cable, early cable days of Mm. going in and you could just press things and order crap. From your remote, I guess. Maybe if you oh. went to like a, you know, this is all if Amazon never made it and people are still only shopping on QVC or some other ways, I guess they could connect mm. that to the television if the internet wasn't around, right? Maybe that's yeah. the idea that that's a different route that history never took <laughs> was to buy everything through your television instead of your computer. Right. right. When Hitler invades America, then we also <laughs> buy everything through their tv uh the 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 bno that i'm looking at locally here so as much as i've understood so far it's actually a widescreen model now this is very of course this makes me wet my pants straight away don't get me wrong but also this is the pit or or the worries about uh widescreen because for example also i don't want to like low-key brag here you know what i'm saying but there's a widescreen bno for 100 bucks and there was also a widescreen Sony Trinitron for 10 bucks, like whatever price. Now, however, the widescreen Sony Trinitron that I passed up at a local auction site uh, for whatever negligible amount of money clearly had 100 hertz written on the front. Then, fine. When I looked at the reverse of the TV, there was only SCART ports on the back. So that from that we take away that it is only a 15 kilohertz set, but it is running in 100 hertz mode, which sounds reasonable for the time that we're playing our video and 100 hertz is apparently better for that twice of the 50. Now, if that widescreen set had a, anything else even a HDMI, something that maybe possibly alludes to the fact that it could play 720p. Okay, now we're talking. But if it's 100 hertz, 15 kilohertz only, I'm a bit skeptical of hauling this 50, 60 kilogram beast up five flights of Soviet Union stairs to my apartment. Which is, again, why the reason I'm coming to this is that I really need... It's very hard to find information on these B&Os, as you know. And to get this 100 hertz... To get this widescreen B&O, I'm like, oh, I, did B&O try and pull some 100 hertz crap here as well? And before I pull the trigger on agreeing to haul so many kilograms of 
of of Danish TV design. I kind of just want some more info on it, so I'm I'm taking my time. Uh, yeah, yeah so you know, it, but if it had a, if it had any other port besides SCART, I might be like, oh, okay, fine, it can do above 15 kilohertz, so right on. Then <laughs> you know, 480p, 720p, right on. Then I'm willing to take your 100 hertz. Yeah, it's hard to say. I know that a lot of times with those sets that are like that, that are widescreen, at least here, the problem is they add a processing into the picture between 480i and 720p. So any of those resolutions end up scaled Hmm. and into a CRT, which is just weird. But for some reason, 1080i on them, if they have an HDMI input, input, a lot of times is zero lag. So it's a, actually a good option for like 1080i. Right. And this is where I think this is our conversation with Shank, that when you find right, yeah. whatever was the native, so a quote unquote native resolution of the CRT, at that resolution, it's very good. That's where it's mwah, 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 you know, the uh, sky's falling in, confetti's coming from the ceiling, women are throwing themselves at you, men want to be you, women want you. This is where, women you know, don't want you. <laughs> this is where it's at. They want to kick that. you out of their house, usually, <laughs> when you fill it with CRTs. Yeah. <laughs> no, not at all. Can't testify. Just kidding. Um, right. So if you find that, that's why I was thinking, okay, <coughs> there's this Trinitron. Yeah, if the Trinitron had something, if like I prove that the Trinitron, which admit I haven't really looked up too far, could do beyond 15 kilohertz inputs, then I might be like, oh, then it's got a chance of yeah. like you know having that. But otherwise, right? I think that's a good one to stay away from that mm. one, right? But it's always going to be interesting because uh, again, there's not, I don't know, there's just not as much on the B and O's. Right, um, it's hard to find that. This wasn't many of them. There were niche, yeah. Products. Especially some of them, I believe, would have been really niche that you could find. Well, they're so in all... Danish, so we got to get Martin to translate. I'm like, who can understand right. Danish anyway? You know. Yeah, I understand. So speaking of uh, lost in translation, uh, <laughs> what uh, we were we were discussing? What what do we want to do as far as? I mean, I feel like every week I turn around now and there's. Uh, now, weird drama in the house of retro. Love drama. <laughs> so I've got, before we get into the real, I got some good drama that's just been dropping right now, which I think is hilarious. So what's been dropping? A good one this week is the PSIO. Now, that is one of the optical drive emulators, one of the original optical drive emulators for the PlayStation. And uh, it is seems to be well understood in the community that the creators of the PSIO have not updated this project for quite some time. I think in the order of years. Have long not, time. Uh, long time. Have not updated this. Yeah. And people are uh, unhappy with this. There are other solutions. X Station. There are different solutions that have come out since then. And so anyone who's bought a PSIO, uh, and also the PSIO had uh, this, like, uh, you had to put a license file in it or something. There was some sort of DRM. The way they protected them, which is not all bad. We know that a way for creators to protect their hardware products is reasonable. So we're not saying that's all bad, but it was a little bit finicky, a little bit there. So... After so much time, as I've understood, there was one member of the hacking community who said, I'm going to write my own firmware or menu. I'm not entirely sure, but I'm going to write my own menu for it. And so they said this publicly 
And then the PSIO guys uh, tried to write them a very legal, legalese letter, which said, no, cease and desist, sire. And uh, so this guy, what he does is he says, fine, uh, if you do not release an update by August 13, I will release my code to the public. However, if you do release an update or you want to work with me, I'll give you the source code. I'll give (laughs) you my source code. And it's hilarious. And so someone's out there, I don't know, offering some sort of ultimatum that they are so annoyed. Some is so autistically annoyed with PSIO. They've made their own and they're putting it out there. They said, I will release it in some sort of, uh, like it could be a Liam Neeson movie style plotline here. Now, the thing that just before we started to record this episode, one of the funny, funny things that came out was that some other hacker got uh, it seems to have uh, got into the original PSIO uh, firmware, did a little decompile on it, and has confirmed, according to them, I don't want to say number one, but according to this other hacker, that the PSI firmware, PSIO firmware, the original one, has Sony code in it. You can decompile it and see the Sony copyright, like, straight up. So this is very funny because the PSIO guys apparently have no leg to stand on because they're threatened to sue people, but they were using the copy code. And there's some guy going, I'm going to release my own. And it's hilarious is what I'm trying to say. I love okay. love me a yeah. bit of retro let's, drama. Let's jump into this a little bit more. <laughs> and before we even do that, I want everybody, you know, I, I know most of the people that are listening are going to know what we're talking about. But just sure. in case you're not, okay. this is... Yep. Let's be fair here. I, I can't believe uh, that this is the case. But if I, I, mean, I just Googled it, and I'm going to show you here on my screen for a second. It says it's like available to order. Is this right? Still on Stone Age Gamer, uh, which I hope I don't know whether that's the case. It says it's a that's pre-order, maybe. So batch, it's still batch coming. But golly, I can't even believe I didn't know this thing was still even for sale. Mm. And uh, it's so that's that's just what we're talking about here. It's this PlayStation one. It was designed a long time ago, like long ages ago and released as a way to just plug. It was supposed to be something easy to plug in the back of your serial port in a PlayStation one that was supposed to be able to play uh, like a EverDrive did. Mm. And now, now, actually, to just jump in on that, just a small, minute detail of that, Steve, the PSIO is not a plug, completely plug-in solution. Yes, there is a box that plugs into the back of the, the serial port on your appropriate model of your PlayStation 1 that has it. However, it does require adding something, something like a mod chip internally. You've got to solder to a number of points. You've got to add this chip internally for the PSIO to work. So there is, it's certainly not no cut. It's certainly no satin satiator that just plugs in the back. And uh, it was was another one of those circumstances where it it seems like the creators of it just aren't good at PR and relating to their customers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because I remember this came out. And like you said, that is a good point. I didn't even say it, but that was... 
there you had to get this modified. So you, if yeah. you didn't have the modified modification skills, you were hiring out somebody to install the mod kit. Then you were getting this device, and I remember right off the bat there was all kinds of thing, all kinds of issues right right away. Where you know I'm not going to be able to go through every a timeline. I don't remember all these things, but it was a long time of things where people had obviously issues with game compatibility on this device. And then, Mm -hmm. um, as you said, people were always waiting now for years for just an update to this product, because since then there's been a hundred different ways to do what this thing says it's supposed to do that actually work that are out now. And at the same time, you have this piece of equipment and (laughs) like you said, you have people that seem like they're not interested in really more interested in keeping the thing dangling out there and not actually fixing it. Cause anytime somebody would come up with a suggestion or want to know what's going on, I don't feel like they were known for having good press relations ever. It is odd. It, it does. It, to me, it comes down to this question of why the fuck do you not just fix it? Is it too hard? Is it, uh, you can't achieve these things? So as you were saying, yeah, the PSIO had some compatibility problems. And I think that this uh, homebrew menu was designed to fix some of those compatibility problems. Now, the bit I don't quite understand, and I may or may not be right here, if I understood, the homebrew uh, menu circumvents the licensing. I don't know if that's correct. This is what I took away from this situation. Because when they, uh, the PSIO guys sent a cease and desist to this homebrew author, they were like, well, you're enabling piracy. And that's when he said, well, if you guys want, I'll give you the code. Yo. <laughs> you know, I just, <laughs> this, I just want a freaking update here. But uh, they pirated the code. And it's, but it turns out they pirated the code they're trying to protect. Which is beautiful that apparently if it doesn't take too much decompilation effort to work out this Sonic code. So again, uh, I'm, I'm just going off what we just heard off that. Right, so, we're just like uh, hearing all this stuff. Love, but... love us a bit of drama here. And it's just funny, uh, our human interactions, we're all a bit weird in this community, aren't we? We're all a bit up here sometimes. Uh, and sometimes people just want to like, you know, some guys just write, I'm going to do it. What? This is annoying. This is taking a year. I'm going to write my own menu. Fuck it. Yeah, that's kind of a it's a crazy situation where it almost becomes like a public uh, version of uh, almost taking your company for hostage or something. And I've you know this kind of it's been a weird strange year. You know, you've got when I was in business prior to anything in retro, when I was starting an insurance business 15 years ago, they would tell me there don't don't sit there and badmouth your competition. Sure. Like directly to clients, right? That's stupid. That's kind of a way. First off, you're talking about the competition, which you shouldn't be considering. Like, unless you're directly comparing something for the point of making your con- your product look better or the qu- customers directly asking you about a comparison between something, mm. you don't want them thinking about another company, another brand when you're trying to get them to consider yours and switching over. And that was a big key piece of advice was to not, you know, not bash it, whether it was like, Oh, well, they're more expensive. Oh, well, they don't treat the customer right. Oh, well they do this. Well, they do that. And cause it always just come back and just bite you in the ass later. 
because down the road, your customer will come back to you and say, you did the same things that you promised years ago or something. It was bound to happen. And it was just bad luck. And it made you seem like a griper. And a lot of people would just avoid doing business with you because of that. And then at the same time, I laugh because we're seeing this out in the open all. <laughs> we talked about an entire episode last week about stupid marketing campaigns. And then, uh, and then there's the PSIO drama now. And then the stuff still continues on with uh, the, the scalar wars. I'm calling it the scalar wars <laughs> that, that one side seems to want to instigate mm-hmm. while the other side is respectfully taking the high road, which I have to laugh about. Uh, no, that's good in a good way. And that's, um, you could see all this stuff. If you've watched Rogers interview with Mike Chi and I was just blown away. I was like, you know, at some point I understand things and, 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 and criticism and whatever between companies. Uh, it doesn't mean, like I said, I, I never agreed with that. You'll never find me talking shit, talking shit mostly in the public about i don't know anybody who else who who wants to come in and become a crt repair person or something that's not like anything i would do dude, unless they were doing dude, unless they're doing like terrible work that was like destructive and all the kind of stuff that we see like voltar exposed in the past these bad ebay modders i'm not talking about that i'm talking about someone uh you know i feel like with the scalar wars for instance I feel like there's a big enough market for both those things to, to exist. Sure. So I guess we can start from the start of that. So we're talking about there's Mike Chi, RetroTink 4K. Uh, it's got to be a 4K scaler. And that is a product that has been in beta for a long time. We have a bunch of people in our community that uh, have it, that are testing it, that are contributing to it. Uh, Firebrand X has got it. Bob's got it. John Lindemann's got it. Wobbling Pixels has got it bunch of these guys have got it and they are working on it contributing to it finding bugs working on it and in the meantime the morph scaler from pixel fx from our, our good friends there who i think we are clearly not on their christmas card list anymore so forget uh <laughs> uh look and again those guys have a solid track record of producing hardware some of the hardware they have produced in the past however they, they have made their announcement at the morph right on they've got their product coming out that's cool too so they also have their own scaler and who's gonna be better and all this sort of stuff and and i think the thing that uh that what got me thinking about these things is that the morph is coming no doubt and that's awesome and i'm very happy for that's coming but as we speak as of the whatever it is the 8th of august 2003 we have not seen the morph switched on producing content. Now we're about to. I think we're about to, which is very interesting. So I'm seen to keen to see it because look, Tink 4K, we've we've seen it. We know what's up. And I'm just thinking back to my work in stand-up comedy, where there's a saying in stand-up comedy, and comedians feel it that you're only as good as your last performance. We respect the work that you've done. We know how much you know. But okay, if you say something, you got to deliver. So I'm very, very keen to see the morph, see it in action, uh, and then get a real copy. And, you know, both can exist. And I do, I got to admit, uh, look, I haven't listened to the Roger thing. Is Mike humble? Because Mike seems friggin' humble. 
Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's the the interesting thing is you get I mean, really, anybody should watch it. I don't I don't want to interject anything as anybody's opinion. I think it's very clear from watching that um, how how things have shaken out between the two uh, basically scalers. And yeah, Mike is very humble, but um, at the same time, he's honest about kind of the interaction that comes from his perspective. And let's just face it, man. All this is weird because it's it's honestly it's reactionary. All of a sudden, <laughs> you know, there's nonstop. You find out all this drama, and then it's like, oh well, we have the scaler too, and it's it's like it's like all this stuff builds up, and you start seeing stuff about the 4K actually coming. Mike makes his announcement, and then it's like, well, we have one too. But the interesting thing is, as well, I don't know what the hell they're doing again with marketing because they made these weird video and they didn't even mention the morph one bit in that release video. And at the same time, nothing is mentioned in that. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, yeah, we have one, too. And um, they were out there saying that they were taking them places to test without, I don't know, people agreeing to this i have no idea what's going on here as far as um, that stuff is concerned but on twitter you know they're saying all oh, this product's ready and it will cost this much and i think that was a that felt again like a dig towards uh perspective towards mike's announcement where he said look budget a thousand dollars for this product and you'll be pleasantly surprised when it's not a thousand dollars and they came out and said Oh, this will be this much money, and uh, you know the price of it, and to say they have it, and then um, it's it's almost like reactionary. Maybe they were going to release it all this time. I have no idea, but it feels like the the release and the announcement of it was a little bit more reactionary, as to kind of get people who were thinking. I'm going to get the 5K. I'm excited. Or, I mean, sorry, the 4K, right? I'm excited about that. Well, then all those people are going, wait a second. Now the morph's here. Well, I'll just wait for that, too. Well, I'll just wait to see which one of these releases, which I don't know, right? It's kind of like... As uh, much as I've understood observing Mike right? Chi over the years, Mike Chi has never had a problem to shift units. As much as it mm. seems, Mike Chi has never sat there and gone, geez, I've got all these stock of these retro tinks that I just can't sell. It's so hard. To, if someone came along, like that's never been. Mike just made a product. It was a great product. And it turns out when you do that, you'll shift a lot of units. And I suspect that both the Morph and the Tink 4K will sell great. Both of them will not have problems to shift units. And I guess Mike's humbleness, his style, his attitude, he comes from, he's never had that. I mean, I don't want to say he's never had stress. Don't get me wrong. But that it's not like he, he's always, he has this, yeah, I have a little confidence, right? Okay, I'm going to make a great product and I have a track record that it's going to sell. And if people come out with a morph now, people are still going to buy a tink later on. That I, 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 it feels like what's happening is Mike knows like, yeah, no matter what happens, people sure the product nice will product. sell right will if sell. it's good it's gonna be right. all right but and if, i think both these both these companies could take that approach yes. either way if they wanted to there's yes, plenty they will. will both sell because it happened before with the 
with the, with the five, the last product that happened with that and the OSSC, and if the OSSC Pro would have ever been able to come out, would there wouldn't have been this problem. It They'll would always all be sell. sold. And that's, like, I guess, the, the message to Pixel FX is not the uh, slam dunk. Okay, fine. We were having a joke on you last month. <laughs> to me, fine. But the, the message is, you guys have a great product. It will sell. People will come to your product, whether it comes now, whether the 4K comes out now, later, in the middle. There's more than enough room in the market. And I, I guess these guys have staked a lot of money. I can only, I'm really absolutely making up shit and speculating here. They've, of course, they've staked their own money. They've staked their own time, their own you know, families and, and situations and finances. I get it. And, and of course, that makes you very nervous. So I just want to sort of, that's my message to them and to everybody. Like your product will sell. It's going to be okay. This month, the end of the year, next year. You know, look, you've got to get a product out so you can start to sell units so you can make money. That bit, I absolutely understand. But whenever you bring it out to the market, no matter what else is on the market, your, your good, solid reputation that you've built up over many years of developing great products is what will sell this. And I just hope that Pixel FX can understand that, like, it's going to be fine, guys. But I appreciate <laughs> when you're in the middle of it. It's very stressful. You're very anxious. You're yeah, great. It's... You guys are awesome. You're going to be all right. Well, and we could tell there's not a problem. I mean, the PSIO, we just showed it. It's sold out. There's, there's even bad, there's out, bad right? products that are sold out. This market has never been a place where it's hard to sell stuff if you have a right. good product that's you know that's an excellent point steve a great product in the it's always out of stock will always sell and not in an arrogant way not in that but just because that's just how it is they're not being arrogant they're excellent engineers yeah like well let's think about something i mean even stuff that's come out recently from like laser bear i haven't even gotten to install that thing yet but you know it's it's constantly just on the order schedule now sure. the uh the bluetooth controller adapter thing that, that's plug and play for everybody and um these things they're not they're gonna sell if they're good and people want them and they're useful yeah and if if like again there's not i think with devices like these two devices there will be there's going to be an overlap there's going to be plenty of nerds that you and i know are going to be buying both of them sure okay so that's that's the funnier part of this is there's going to be literally people that are buying both of these devices and it will be again sold out all the time and i think that the, the thing that mike chi has proven more than anything is his his dedication to go and stay on updating his product and the flat the firmware exactly the opposite of what the psio drama is all about mike chi to his own like credit has sat there and come out with firmware after firmware after firmware and then the things that he's shown um teased on his twitter recently is, is even more remarkable it's an Excuse excellent me. point steve that is this race or race for lack of a better term not that we want to make it into that but is this uh race about 
releasing the product first or is it about the long run? Is it about the effort? Because the effort that you put in over the long term and not just sales in the first month, two months, three months, six months, whatever, right? Uh, and, and so we come back to why is the PSI, PSIO a shitty product? Because they had issues, but they never tried to fix them. I think that, again, our community is pretty good. And for all the whinging, for all the ADHD whinging that we do, we're pretty good. If you, like, work at it, release some new firmwares, be communicative with your customers and say, hey, we're working on this and actually produce something a few months later. It doesn't have to be next week. It can be a few months. The community will, like, still get there. And that's... The PSIO's problem is not that it's an incompatible, shitty product. It's that the product that came out wasn't quite fully baked, fine, but that they have not refined it and have not worked on it anymore. And so I put this conjecture to us that it's not necessarily about when the product gets out the door. It's about how you support that product over the long term. Now, any company needs to get a product out the door so they can pay the bills. I'm not saying that PixelFX or whoever company should sit on a product forever before releasing it because, hey, they got to make income and, you know, they got to do that. So I'm not saying, you know, maybe they want to rush it, but don't, I don't think first over the start line is going <laughs> to win the race. Well, and that's a good, great point. And the funnier thing about all this is this is from two. Two uh, companies that have the reputation of, again, making great products. Great engineers. And then supporting those products, again, throughout. So there's no doubt in my mind that both right. these products are going to be good. And, and I know that that's just a normal thing for a product to come out and need refining. We talked about it all day we already. It. We know. Yeah, in the community. And we know. Exactly. So uh, there's no doubt that both these products are going to be there. It's just this weird almost. Um, what? <laughs> just weird, like drama that's again uh, thrown into the middle of it, which seems almost pointless when you know both these products are going to be great and they're both going to sell. They're both going to be followed. They're both going to be supported by the community. Uh, I mean, there's like few things that I would guarantee probably happen but it, within retro both of these products i would completely believe these companies and the people saying they're going to make them and they're going to do what they're going to do right so this isn't like things again like the psio comes out says it's going to do this stuff it doesn't do it we understand can we get an update no it's not ready oh well what about a year later no it's still not ready no fuck you know screw you leave us alone and that's like that kind of a situation is obviously different where if the PSIO announced a new product, everybody would laugh. That sure, company. now they would laugh. Why are you releasing a new product when you haven't fixed your old thing? Like any company would do that. <laughs> right. Hey, I, wanna, I know we're getting on this podcast. I want to also move on. I have some updates yeah, okay. uh, with the Chinese CRT oh, yeah. cool. situation. So we've got our man on the inside, Ivory. From Retro Castle. Uh, and by the way, the Retro Castle uh, Mr. Products, if you're looking for certain thoughts of I.O. boards, uh, Retro Castle makes great Mr. Uh, accessories. The I.O. board, you can order from AliExpress, and he's not some bit funks or something like that. There are actually 
awesome independent Chinese creators of these products and Retro Castle is one of them. And actually I was very pleased to see Retro Castle's IO board in the My Life in Gaming, My Life in Gaming video. Uh, the one they did on Portable Mister, the Portable Mister, so quote unquote, as I say, <laughs> is actually yeah. one of Ivory's USB-C powered ones. And I told him okay. that. He didn't know that that video had been done. So that was awesome. So I, speak, I try to speak to Ivory about, hey, we've seen these CRTs. What's up? So first of all, he, uh, he reached out to some of the suppliers. He talks to his guys, whatever. They got their community there. He has verified that they are definitely hand-assembled these sets that they are definitely old tubes they are definitely these are not they are coming from like not even really new old stock they're old tubes um yeah they're definitely meant for developing countries i would say quite obviously that's why they had the 12 volt power on the back that you could run <laughs> off a battery or something um and he says that it's because it is extremely easy to get old tubes in China. Uh, that a lot of e-waste. Uh, and he says even... And now, here's a flip side of it that may even be a small upside. He said that a lot of this e-waste comes from Japan. They're, they're, they're pretty close over there. It's not that far to ship. So a lot of old Japanese CRTs also ended up in China. Look, China's a huge country as well. So the tubes are being dismantled. Now... The information that the things that come to my mind about this is, is it all the one type? How, like, it would be interesting to know how were they developing this? Um, because also, he sent me a lot of links to you can buy the components on AliExpress and Alibaba, I think mostly, like the boards and the, I think there was a deflection board, and you can buy these components because they're, as we understood, they're remaking the electronics. Uh, right. in this that's the bit that you can make out of a crt the tube and certain other parts cannot be remade and will not be remade and it is the firm opinion of this podcast that tubes will never be produced again because the factory to create a tube factory is just hundreds of millions of dollars so yeah the art the made. art is gone the art of being able to do that is gone is so most you can actually buy unless there's some components. secret, you know, Marvel base. Oh, sure, but then Jesus comes down, creates a Trinitron. Yeah, that's ridiculous. You know, there's right. so yeah, unless some miracle. Right on the third day, he came back and made us a widescreen Trinitron with many component inputs. There's yeah, yeah there's right. like we're not going to get uh the tubes that the but like you said so they're using old tubes they're old well, tubes they're definitely old tubes mm -hmm. um they're definitely hand assembled so this is not looking good so far now also <laughs> i was in communication with an aussie bloke so i met this aussie bloke on twitter all i know is his name's barry barry from australia we know that's and he doesn't need a passport when he travels i'm ah, barry we know you're Australian, mate. So he is some sort of uh, CRT reseller. I don't know electronics in general, but he's a guy that buys and sells CRTs in Australia. And another thing to remember about the CRT market in Australia, in my home country, even though I don't live there, is it's really tough. We are an isolated rock at the end of the world. There was limited amount of stocks in our small market, especially back, we didn't have so many people even back in the 80s and 90s. Hard to get this stuff, but 
a big old aging population. So any free CRTs are snapped up immediately. Any Australian will know. Old retro shit, super expensive in Australia. Way more expensive. Even my mother, my mother, who has, fair enough, the same collecting gene as me, I guess. She told me that when she looks over the local forums, the local classifiers, the local listings, she's like, yeah, I saw those TVs. As soon as they come up, they go. As soon as they come online, they go for a high price. Even my mother understands in her rural community in New South Wales that these old TVs are in high demand. So there's clearly a need for a service like Barry that he's offering. And so Barry told me that he bought three of the 14-inch models. I won't say about how much, just because I want to respect his privacy. But he bought three of them. Uh, He told me that the seller organized the shipping, which is, I guess he found a seller who was willing to party with him. And Because the way Steve and I were looking at it is that we thought maybe Ivory Retro Castle would help us with the shipping. Because Alibaba is the warehouse version. It's the wholesale version. And they may or may not... It's not like AliExpress. You click a button and they sell, right? So we weren't sure maybe Ivory could hook us up with the seller. The seller, the shipper is different to the seller. But in this case, the seller hooked him up with a shipper. He paid all the tax. They are still on route. He hasn't got them yet. Oh, he hasn't got them he yet. He hasn't got them. They're still coming. Oh, so my. I'm waiting okay. for Barry's update uh, to find out about the quality of these things. He said that he's looking to keep one. He's going to try and sell two of them. And if they are of acceptable quality which is okay we're going to find out what that of course barry's going to find out too what the definition of that is then he's definitely going to import more so i thought that was very interesting if you're in australia and you're interested to be connected with barry tell me uh just write a comment in the whatever write me on twitter or the facebook or or, or whatever in the comments and i'll it's no big secret uh, I'll give you a connection to this guy if you're in Australia and you want to want to connect with him. But he hasn't got them yet. Um, so it's going to be very interesting because the reports we're hearing from Ivory is that they might not be so good. But let's see. I think it's, I think it's something... It sounds like something where it's... What's, it, there's a need for a display. They still have these landfills probably filled with tubes yeah and there's obviously some type of a universal chassis for a good majority of these tubes where it's similar to the arcade machines we have where we're like oh yeah they get the same size tube the the yoke is induction matches this range for that set you could just pop the tube out and pop in this new one. So there's something going on there where someone's designed one enough for a vast majority of these low-end televisions that are sitting in landfills and places that it can work with them or work with specifically what they have. So we're talking about maybe even more of a – we've talked a lot about uh, Kurt and the guy who uh, – he's the guy who owns Dotronics mm. and how he had new old stock of tubes – designed a board to fit those tubes and then repackaged it in a metal shell for museums and sold them for a lot of money. But at the end of the day, they're just, just simple consumer sets. This sounds a lot like that only on a more, uh, a less high quality level, right? It's like, they're just whatever they're putting it all together. 
it probably works, but it's not going to look even as good. It's probably a set that you would find on the street right now in America still, as far as like a consumer television. It is interesting. Um, also, I would love to know how they're matching tubes to the electronics. Mm-hmm. Then. Uh, as you know, as and as I've understood, I guess you can explain better, Steve, that it's not like you can just get any tube and whack it with any electronics and make it work. Right. And this is what we, way back in the day, we did the podcast with Thomas Dady about him trying to create a generic sort of firmware, I guess, or hardware it might be, uh, to run with any tube and how difficult that was. So the question that I have and I'm not quite sure of is if they're just how is it that they're just getting tubes from the landfill or from Japan or however but then applying it to this one generic board. So does that imply that they've got some old stock of a bunch of old Toshibas or a bunch of old somethings? You know what I mean? Like how is it yeah. they're matching electronics to tubes if they're randomly picking tubes implied they're not randomly picking tubes? What's up? I think it's going to be for Barry to tell us about this, most likely for <laughs> us to give us a good answer. But if you do think about it, it sounds like they are probably putting these up for order. And they're like, we have a lot filled with all different types of tubes. And let's say 30% of them. Mm. <laughs> it's like a landfill. We have like 30%. Okay, here's stacks and stacks of 14-inch salvage TVs. And you get an order for three, you got to go out there and find three compatible tubes. And then you have to have a meter, you check induction of the coil. You have to make sure that the pinout on the neck board can be driven by your electronics. So yeah, there must be some kind of system to that because mm. they're not specifically going in and just taking every tube that they find. I think that there's a situation where they probably have so many tubes that there's enough yeah, there there must be becoming some type of a system where they're stacking these tubes. Maybe they're breaking everything down finally, and they're mm-hmm. stacking up certain tubes together. That they're like, okay, we have fifty of this one type of fourteen inch tube. They're not all the same tubes, but they all have the same yoke induction, and they all support the same neck board. Mm-hmm. Kind of similar to the again, like if I was storing nineteen uh, eighties consumer sets that were. Uh, by RCA, Magnavox, Panasonic, and like uh, all these other brands, Sanyo, Samsung. Let's say I was just hoarding those because they're all the same size and they all can fit in the same chassis as my Wells and Garner uh, arcade machines. So uh, that's what I believe would probably be my hunch is there's there's a there's enough of a similarity to these tubes that they're all working on the same chassis and they're not individually designing the chassis to match each tube if it's not a fit you would think so i'm going to investigate a little bit what the chassis are that because ivory linked me to a few of them yeah and you can buy them and you can you could also that's the interesting part you can buy all the individual parts that are going into this crt on alibaba as well or you can buy the thing so we got to do a bit maybe it's even easier and cheaper to buy a bunch of the parts and see, but then which tubes do they go to? Well, the mystery continues. This is something we have another, uh, Dan Montz, when we interviewed him, he did this with one of his 
like wooden sets where it matched the dry it matched the chassis that they sold on ollie i believe one of these and he took it out the original hardware and hooked it up to this tube in the uh cabinet like a wood cabinet so he would just have different inputs as opposed to the original rf i think that was on the set because it gives him an rgb input like an arcade input i think so this is it's something that's been done before and it's it's something that again yeah we'll we'll continue to look at because it's interesting absolutely fascinating so yeah how are we matching tubes with electronics what can we do with electronics uh can we import them so we're getting there we're gonna find find some more i've been very busy having another talk to ivory a lot but uh yeah i can't wait to hear barry barry's input are they cheap <laughs> and, and and ivory also said look he's he's also a hundred percent sure these are designed for developing markets middle east africa this sort of stuff like that's where they're meant to go this is not a product they have understood that is going for uh, a western market that he he believes they're not Chinese guys sitting there going, oh, the retro gamers in America. This is where we're no. going to sell them. No, they want to ship them off. They've got developing countries in mind before we get our retro hopes up high. Exactly. It's, yeah, it's it's something that's, this is more of a, um, a fact that these other countries are lagging behind and have a need for a display and there's still an economic side you know there's still somehow somebody's still making money off of because mm. we've looked at the prices if you were in that area it's not it's like 30 or 40 dollars for a crt i mean come on that's there's people asking more than that for users on facebook if, if obviously the thing we're paying is shipping i remember that fees paid to take the tube they're already mm -hmm. in a plus. We said there was some program by the Chinese government. They pay you to deal with the tube. So it's not like you're actually buying the old stock. You know, the electronics, maybe the Chinese can do, you whip up some uh, plastic surrounding for it. Maybe the Chinese are very good at whipping out the electronics. Maybe they can produce them super friggin' cheap. Yeah. So we'll see. That's, that's always fun to uh, speculate on. But I still think your best bet right now is to try <laughs> not get your hopes up on this thing. Uh, just try to deal with what you can find in your own backyard still. Absolutely. Absolutely. Deary me, Steve. Maybe we should wrap it up here. i got to go That's a do good point. some stuff soon. So thank you very much for our, our rambling this week. We appreciate you you listening and getting the updates. Uh, Steve, what do you got coming up in the next week? Anything big? What can we look forward to? Oh, just continuing to work on this bno i've got to get that completed so that's really hot on my list so that uh that's pretty much it for right now nice very nice i'm gonna be fantasizing about bnos i think that's the way to go maybe i'll get one ladies and gentlemen <laughs> thank you very much for listening to the cathode ray podcast we appreciate you listening if you want to write us write us on twitter i got zez we got retro usa lead us up we'd love to hear from you see you next time Uh, stop.